0: Before I get started, I want to show you some pictures to just remind you uh, that people in this church take this prayer very seriously. Isn't that pretty cool? Now, that one down… <laughs> I don't know about the one in the middle. I know what's going on there. Pretty Late for lunch, maybe. I don't know. Uh, But this one on the left, one of our two softball teams actually remembered at 6.33 last week to pray, and they actually got the other team praying too. This has been powerful already, and we just had a week. And what I'd like to ask you is, as we go forward, if uh, there's some things that you can take pictures of or uh, some stories that you have of what's going on with you when you stop at 6.30 to pray, send them this way, because I'd love to to share them with everyone everybody. Now, we are meeting every night here at about 20 after, because every night there's somebody doing a devotion for us. And so, we're meeting about 20 after, and then we're praying at 633. And so far, it's been like it was the first time, 15, 20 people, and sometimes 10 that actually meet at church. But it's powerful, and if you can come here, I invite you to do that. Now, as we move forward, I thought maybe we could do something else exciting, because we're getting the prayer thing down. I thought maybe as a group this morning, we could actually memorize the Scripture. Wouldn't that be exciting? You don't look excited, okay? But uh, let's do that. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 It's from Paul, and throw it up around the screen. Can we do this one or just try it together? Pray continually. Let's say it again. Pray continually. One more time. Pray continually. Now, let's get nuts. Take it off the screen. Try it. Pray continually. Look at you. You guys are praying every day and you're memorizing Scripture. That's amazing. Here's what Paul says in that simple passage of Scripture. He says, if you're a Christian, you should just pray all the time. Just pray all the time. That's what he's talking about. And listen, for us, it ought to be easy to do because God is everywhere all the time, everything we do, everywhere we go. You remember that, right? When Angie and I got married, I lived in Plainfield. She lived in Mooresville. Now, we knew God lived in Plainfield, and we knew God lived in Mooresville. We got married and moved to Bloomington, and the question was, does God live in Bloomington? And the answer, of course, yes, he does. Not very happy about it, but he lives here. Now, God uh, is everywhere, and Paul's saying, because of that, we should pray all the time. But the question is, how? How are we going to pull that off? I mean, really? You got your jobs, you got your family, you got the kids you got the house and all the stuff going on. How are we going to do that? Well, I want to talk about it a little bit today, and I hope for a lot of us, it's review. Because we talk a lot about prayer at South Union Christian Church. We are a house of prayer here. But every time we talk about prayer, it's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. Because there's so much involved in this unbelievable privilege we get to spend time with God. But in the spirit of our challenge of 40 days, I'd like to talk this morning, uh, i remind you of some of the practices that we can do that we can put in our life. So we, when this is over, we're not just a group of people who prayed for 40 days and got out of it. That we've actually become people who pray all the time. I think we could do that. Now, I, I, you all know that I spend a lot of time reading and watching John Ortberg. He's an amazing pastor, an amazing speaker and writer. And I knew that he had a definition of the world of the word spiritual activity. And I found it last week. I love this. He says spiritual practice is any activity I engage in in order to receive power from God, to be freed from sin, and to grow in love. Isn't that good? That's that's a spiritual practice. And isn't that what we want to do when we pray together? To be touched with the power of God, to be freed from sin, and to advance ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we all want. And there are some practices, spiritual practices, that we can put into play in our lives that will help us become people who pray all the time. And here's the first one, solitude. Now, the practice of solitude has become real big in my life in the last 20 years or so, and most of you know by now that your staff here at South Union Christian Church practice this uh, four times a year. In fact, two of your staff members just had their fall day of solitude last Thursday. It's a powerful time to be alone. In fact, we see in the life of Jesus a lot. Before he even started his ministry, the Bible said he was led out into the wilderness uh, to, to have solitude, to pray. Now, uh, in solitude, we deliberately withdraw from people and busyness and conversation to see what it's like to just be you and God, nobody else. It's an amazing thing, and Jesus did it a lot. In fact, uh, as soon as he started his ministry, the very first thing—Mark chapter one, verse thirty-five—very early in the morning, he withdrew to a solitary place to pray. We see over and over again in his ministry where he would pray all night. He prayed all night before he chose the disciples. He prayed all night after he fed the 5,000. He he prayed all night after he found out John the Baptist had been killed. When he sent out the 12 on their mission and they came back and they were so pumped up, he said, let's withdraw to a lonely, quiet, solitary place so we can get some rest. And my point is Jesus practiced solitude through his entire ministry all the way up to the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane where he got alone with the Lord. Solitude is powerful. It's amazing. It's being alone with God. Now, people sometimes say to me, what in the world do you do all day long in a day of solitude? Well, uh, lots of things, actually. In fact, we have a a little agenda that we put together for people who would like to try this, uh, you know, to, to kind of suggest what you do through the day. I mean, you pray a little, you meditate a little, you study the Word a little bit. There's a time for snack. There's a time for lunch. There's a time for a walk. There's even a time for a nap. But here's the deal. In a day of solitude, it's not really so much what you do, it's what you don't do that counts. In solitude, you don't engage in busyness or conversation or relationship. You don't uh, watch TV, you don't talk or text on on the cell phone, you don't play with the computer, you just spend time alone with God and see if there's anything going on between you and Him like we talked about last week that needs adjusted and you find out how much He loves you in spite of all that and you just be touched by Him. I mean, it's, it's crazy stuff. If you've not done it, you got to try it. Listen, the first time I found out about solitude, I was so pumped up, I went home and told Angie, as soon as I get a free day, I'm all over this. Anybody want to guess how long it takes to come up with a free day? Yeah, it never happens. If you want to do this, family, you've got to be intentional you got to set a date, take a day off from work or school, whatever it is in a family, and go find yourself, uh, be alone with God. And it's harder these days than ever. It's a whole lot harder to find solitude than today it was in Jesus' day. So you're going to have to be intentional about this. And and some people, it's harder on some people than it is others. I know some people who love the whole idea of solitude. It'd be a lot of fun if they could take three or four people with them because they love a party, you know what I mean? And it's kind of uncomfortable for them to be alone. But I'm telling you, this is an amazing practice. And uh, if you don't think you can just jump into it, then take a morning of solitude. Take a half a day of solitude and work yourself up. It's powerful because in solitude, we get free from the stresses of life and the opinions that other people have of us. And they've got it, trust me. And all the circumstances, and we just get alone with God. It's so neat. And by the way, if your dream is to one day... Uh, spend eternity with the Lord, you probably ought to practice this because you're going to be spending a lot of time with him there. uh, Another practice that will help us pray continually is silence. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. See, there's a reason why God commands us to, to be quiet and be still. There's a huge connection between getting quiet and knowing that God is God because get this, God will not compete with the noise in your life. He just won't. I mean, he could. The Bible says his voice can strip the bark off a cedar tree and roll like thunder. But most of the time when God speaks to us, it's in a real soft whisper. And so, again, if we want to hear from God, we got to be intentional. Turn off the TV, walk away from the video games, shut up the computer, and get silent with God. And when we practice the silence, man, it starts doing something with our minds. It's amazing. I uh, bought a pair of those headphones that cancel all noise because uh, i got a large family, and we like to get together. And I was afraid they'd be mad at me if I tried those on, you know, put them on. But I put those things on. I didn't hear one complaint. Ba-doom-sh. I just want to know if you're still awake. You know what I'm talking about? So, scholars say there's actually two dimensions to silence. A- and the first one is, I- actually, I don't speak. And the early uh, church fathers said that that's important, because when you're not talking, you're not sinning so much. Because they say you can't really talk without sinning. Sometimes not even intentionally. And I think that's true. Uh, William Backus, for example, says the average person lies 200 times a day. How in the world do we manage to lie 200 times a day? Well, we spin things a little bit. We exaggerate a little bit. We manipulate a little bit. In fact, I got a riddle for you. What is green and has wheels? Anybody? Ash? Green and has wheels. The answer is grass. I was lying about the wheels. See, we lie all the time, is, is this guy's point. And he says, in silence, though, we learn not to use our words all the time to get what we want. So be still and know that you've got down. To... It's hard to do sometimes because what we're finding out is most people, not all people, most people don't, they're uncomfortable with silence. Most people hate silence. They want noise, you know, lots of it. In fact, I'll give you an example of this, too. They say that, uh, you know, people's TVs are on all day long in their house, and survey after survey after survey, they say they're on for one reason. You know what it is? Noise, yeah. My mom used to say that. i said, say, well, you're watching, mom? mom. nothing is just on for noise. Like we don't have enough of that, you know? I, I, I mean, uh, don't you think it would be cool t- to be uh, uh, in a place where you could be silent? Now, there's a reason why we want noise around, and uh, most of the secular research on this thing actually confirms what the Bible's been saying for years. The secular research on this is really uh, fascinating. This is what it says. It says that people want noise in their life because when left to itself, the mind turns to bad thoughts, trivial plans, sad memories, and worries about the future. It goes on to say that disorder, confusion and decay are the default, option, default options of our consciousness. When we're quiet, that's where our mind goes. Now, I think that's fascinating, but Paul's been saying that for years. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Wouldn't you like to have the kind of mind that is full of life and peace? I mean, please, wouldn't it be awesome to have the kind of mind that didn't have to have noise and distraction just to function? Well, we can do that by silence, by getting used to praying quietly and recognizing who God is. And we ought to try that this week. Practice, uh, start off by maybe going a whole week without your TV. Wouldn't that be something? Or let's get real nuts. Why don't you go a whole day without the cell phone? Uh, Let's not get crazy, right? Be still and know that I am God. Boy, you pray continually you do that. Here's another practice. How about study? And listen, I'm not just talking about uh, reading a book. We're, we're reading a book together right now for 40 days of prayer, which is a good thing. I'm talking about studying the book. I'm talking about the Word of God, which we've been talking about lately is the only source of truth we have right now. It's absolute truth. There's all this talk these days about relative truth. There's no such thing as relative truth. It doesn't make any sense at all. I'm going to stand on my rights. Well, if you don't know what's right and wrong, absolutely, then what are you standing on? It just doesn't make any sense at all. The absolute truth of the Word of God is where we need to get back to. Now, one of the problems I think we we're just talking about this Wednesday morning is there are dozens of translations out there right now. And because of that, the Bible's taken a bad rap recently, like, how can we be sure it's accurate? Well to be honest with you, I've not read all these different translations. I've not studied them, so I'm not sure they are accurate. But I know if you stick with the NIV and the ASV and the NASV and maybe the King James Version, you're gonna be close to the original, the Greek and the Hebrew, and in the Bible you're gonna find if you do some research is perfect. It's a miracle of God. I I won't go on a soapbox, but i got to tell you this. Do you know we have 55,000 copies of the book of Matthew dating back to 72 A.D.? 55,000 copies, and there's one-sixteenth of one-hundredth of a percent of difference in all those copies. And it's punctuation. It's not letters or words. God has preserved this miracle book, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when you and I get quiet and we study the Word of God, He fills our mind with good things, and He renews our mind. And we become not experts in the Bible, but renewed minds. See, when we study information, we want to become experts. By the way, I did, uh, I did hear just last week that the world-renowned expert in tongue twisters, you know what a tongue twister is, Betty Body. Bought, say, I can't even do that one, bought some butter. Well, the real world-renowned expert in tongue, tw- tongue twisters, he got arrested last week. And I understand if he's convicted, they're going to give him a real tough sentence. Wow. Listen, we don't, yeah, you'll think about that a few minutes and laugh. Uh, we don't study the Bible to become Bible scholars. That's not what I'm talking about. We spend time in a Word of God so that when things come up in our life, bad circumstances or just circumstances or situations or people or stresses, that we approach that with a with God perspective. When you get in the Word of God, it changes everything that's going on here. Uh, The first time I did a, a day of solitude was 24 years ago at Willow Creek. And John Ortberg had a group of us up there. That's when I got connected to him. And the monks had left for the weekend. And so we got the monastery. And they put me in one of the rooms, one of the monks' rooms. And John Ortberg gave me one sentence in one of the Psalms. And he said, you have two hours to sit in that room with that sentence and ask the Holy Spirit what it means. No commentaries, no notes, just me and the Holy Spirit for two hours. I have no way of communicating to you what that does. To get the Word of God from the Holy Spirit Himself, it's absolutely amazing. And you have to be intentional to get this done. It would be my guess that there are lots and lots of Christians who have spent their entire life as a Christian and not dedicated one whole day to being with Jesus and studying the Word. I'm suggesting you try it, family. Family. If it doesn't knock your spiritual socks off, Eric Gilpin to buy your breakfast. Just call me and I'll see that that happens, okay? Here's another one, secrecy. Secrecy. This is a good practice to help you pray continually. And I know that sounds strange, but what I'm talking about is doing nice things for people without letting anybody know you're doing it. It's turning over the PA department, PR department of your life to God, which is not natural. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. This is one of those practices that becomes really important for people who wrestle with approval addiction people who want everybody to think they're cool and neat and know all the answers to all the questions and all the issues and and they just just do wonderful things. Uh, This is a good practice for that. Now, Jesus went on to say, uh, give us some examples. He said, if you're given, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Same thing with prayer and fasting. Now, we don't want to take this too far, which I think we've done in the church. Jesus is not saying you should never let somebody know you gave them something. Jesus is not saying it always has to be anonymous. What he is saying is if you're addicted to that, if you get your identity from doing good things and letting everybody know it was you that did it, this would be a nice practice for you. And you can do little things. Just do something really nice this week for somebody and don't let anybody. Don't even tell your wife or husband that you did it. If you're in a large group of people and somebody asks a question and you know the answer, bite your tongue. Let somebody else answer it. It, you'll find out pretty soon that you, you not only survive that, you can thrive from that because it gets to a point where you, you're not depending on what people think of you and how much they think you know and how wonderful you are. It's so liberating. It helps you pray to know that you're doing these things with God. Here's another one. This will put a smile on your face. Fasting. Fasting. Now, Uh, We're going to talk more about this later, but fasting is when you give up something intentionally so you can pray to God. And most of the time, we think about food. I I had a kid in college that I bumped into, and he was going on and on about his fasting. He said he'd been thirty days he'd been fasting, and I said, "Wait a minute, you've gone thirty days without food?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "What are you trying to prove?" He said, "I'm just trying to get close to God." I said, you keep that up, you'd be shaking his hand in two or three days. You know what I'm talking about? But fasting, man, is a time where we give something up to spend time with God. Now, Jesus talks a lot about fasting in the New Testament. He he gives instructions for it in Matthew 6.16. He says, when you fast, and then he tells how to do it. And again, we'll talk about this later. But the point of that passage is, is Jesus said, when you fast, not if. I mean, he just, it's almost like he expects this as a, dis, a discipline and a practice that you and I will put in our lives to help us pray continually. Anybody in here remember Sesame Street? Anybody remember the Cookie Monster? The cookie Monster's philosophy, see cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. Well, there are people in Wall Street and, and Madison Avenue and New York and other places that spend hours a day trying to convince all of us that we're nothing more than Cookie Monsters. They spend lots of money to convince us that we are just a huge pile of appetite that needs to be gratified, and you just go out in the culture and find gratification, and it's sad because it's working, and we're so much more than that. I was talking to the ladies in uh, the kitchen Friday, uh, Wednesday night before Eric's Bible study, which has just been amazing, by the way, but anyway, I was going through some of the jingles that I just remember that I've never forgotten over the years. These guys are geniuses. Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. I'll never forget that. And I eat my hamburgers plain. I never put any of that garbage on my hamburgers. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. No salt, salts like Morton salts on. We try harder at Avis. I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I was singing this one Lip, smacking, whips, smacking, patty, whacking, eaking, neckin', cracker jacks, candy, coated popcorn, peanuts, and a prize. That's what you get in Cracker Jacks. These guys are genius. You never forget these songs. But the point is, if we can take a momentary fast from all that nonsense, we find out that we're not just a huge pile of appetite, that we're born in the image of God and that we can be masters over that. And it's been my experience and a lot of the other people's experience in this church that it's not just food we need to fast from. There's phones and TVs and computers and all kinds of appetites in our life that we can fast from and let them know you're not the boss of me. Jesus is. And you want to talk about praying continually. That's pretty good. Here's another one. The the art of serving. And I'm not, look, I'm not just talking about doing something nice for your family, your friends. We do that all the time. I'm talking about doing something uh, just to beat the selfishness in your life, to do something for somebody just to work on your humility. Anybody in here find, uh, like I do, that humility is really hard to achieve? Yeah, humility is one of those virtues that's hard to just come at directly. You know, one, one person said, as soon as you think you've got humility, you don't. Humility, you just kind of got to sneak up on it, and, and serving people is a way to sneak up on humility because it reminds you it's not about you, and it, re, it takes yourself out of it, and, and it causes you to, to get away from all this entitlement stuff. There's a church out in California that once a year they shut down all their services, Saturday night and all their Sunday morning services, and everybody in the congregation goes out and serves. That's awesome. I, I, I mean, we got to try that sometime. If I put Jeremy on it, it'll probably happen. How about the practice of simplicity? I said simplicity, and all the people said, ouch. I mean, we just are all about stuff in this country, man. We just want stuff, more stuff. And stuff all the time. Still the fastest-growing industry in this country for the last two decades is storage sheds. We're building a bunch of new ones right now out on 45 and Curry, storage sheds so we can buy more stuff that we don't have enough room for in our own house, so we can put them in a storage shed and go visit them once in a while. We're consumed with stuff. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing in the world. We're going to take nothing out of it. If we had food and clothing, we ought to be content with that. Seriously, Paul, you're not going to find that on a billboard someplace. But man, if you can simplify your life and get rid of some of the distractions and the stuff You'll be so appreciative. You'll be praying all the time. It's a good way to live. I heard about a monastery where when you come to spend the weekend and they put you in one of the rooms, a monk will give you your quarters and then he'll look at you and say, is there anything you need? Let me know if there's anything at all you need. And then I'm going to show you how to live without it. That's the way we live, Paul says. Food and clothing. Be content with that. And then the last thing is just celebration. Celebration. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. I was thinking last night, I went over to Gosport and preached their homecoming. They've 200 years they've been, Gosport Christian Church. And I was thinking on the way over there, how much celebration we've had in this church in just three and a half decades I've been here, Richie. Some of the things we've seen in this church, are you kidding me? The miracle of this property that we're on. Ask me about that story someday. It's a miracle. The miracle of the property that was given to us a couple years ago, 83 acres. The miracle of that property over there. We've seen marriages come back together in this church that didn't have 1% chance of making. We've seen people healed in this church. We've seen families come back together. Countless people that you would never believe come to know Jesus Christ in this place. And and here's what I know for sure. God's going to do that with or without us. I mean, there was going to be a South Union Christian church here, whether Jim Cain was part of it or not. He just allowed me to see it, allowed me to be a part of it, allowed you to be involved in it. And we ought to be celebrating that, what we see in our lives and in our families. We ought to be blowing the roof off of this place on Sunday mornings. People ought to be driving by this church and saying, what in the world is going on in there? And it all starts right here at this table, because Jesus is the one who made this possible. Now, I know we have to come at the table in the beginning somberly. I mean, Paul says examine yourself. Uh, In fact, uh, the church at Corinth was sick because some of them even dying because they they were taking this in a bad way. So Paul says come and examine yourself and certainly come to the altar. That's why it's so important up here. and, And do business with God the week you've had and the week you've got coming. And thank Him Jesus, for what he's done for you. But after you got through that, then take a minute and just remember, we're forgiven people, past, present, and future. We're going to heaven forever because of what he's done. And we ought to spend all the time we can celebrating. So we're going to continue to pray together for 40 days, but we're going to learn to pray continually. We're going to start right now around the table.